This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In American politics, the center is dead. The election we passed through in 2016 exposed once again the depth of division and also a level of discourse where compromise has been a dirty word. And how did we get to such an extreme state of polarization? Is it something about the Internet, or is it about the kinds of people who go into politics? Or is it, as some have argued, the strange American practice known as gerrymandering, where every 10 years the parties redraw the political map to create an advantage for themselves by putting together districts made up overwhelmingly of voters likely to support them, making their seats so safe and so uncompetitive that they have no incentive to compromise, and the center dies. Well, that is an intriguing theory, but does it hold up to examination? That sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We are at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., in partnership with the National Constitution Center. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in Washington votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Again, our motion is this. Gerrymandering is destroying the political center. We have one team arguing for, one team arguing against. Let's meet the team first arguing for the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Daly. Hi, David. Hello. So you wrote a book whose name uh, I'm not allowed to say on the radio or, <laughs> or in front of small children, so I will try to get around it. The name of the book is Ratfa, and it ends in K-E-D, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. What, what exactly does that term that I can't pronounce mean? It is a term that goes back to Watergate. You can trace it back through the redistricting battles of the 1990s um, as a, a term for a political chicanery. Time-honored profanity. <laughs> All right. Rat bleeped. Thank you very much, uh, David, and please tell us who your partner is. I am debating this evening with my friend Caroline Fredrickson. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Caroline Fredrickson. <laughs> Hi, Caroline. Welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S., and you are president of the American Constitution Society for Law and Policy, a progressive group. For those of us not so familiar with gerrymandering, we know that both parties do it. They have been doing it for a few centuries. Um, but does that mean that, technically speaking, it's legal? It's not. Um, in fact, the Supreme Court has recognized that drawing lines to prevent a legislature from being, quote, collectively responsive to the popular will is actually unconstitutional. It has questioned partisan gerrymandering. Uh, so no, it's not. That's why we have a debate here tonight. Thank you to the team arguing for the motion. And you have two opponents. Please welcome arguing against the motion first, Chris Jankowski. Uh, Chris, you're actually a major character in your opponent's book. Um, you ran a program called Red Map on behalf of the Republican State Leadership Committee. Um, pulling off what many say was the most successful gerrymander of all time on behalf of the Republican Party. Rachel Maddow called you the unsung political genius of our time. And all of this was your idea. Where, where did that idea come from? Well, uh, good evening. Um, I would say uh, I was reading a Sunday story in July 2009 that uh, mentioned the upcoming census ongoing and the redistricting and reapportionment that would take place and the significant changes in populations from the Rush Belt down to the Sun Belt. I thought, you know what, we can, we can do something. And who is your partner? Well, um, I believe you take a gun to a gunfight, and I think you take an Ivy League professor to a debate. <laughs> so I brought Nolan McCarty. Ladies and gentlemen, Nolan McCarty. Nolan, it is Princeton, indeed. You're uh, chair of the Department of Politics there, and, and you've been studying politics and wrote a book called Polarized America, which looks at the causes and the results of polarization in American politics. But if, are we being misty-eyed to look back to the past and say it's never been as bad as it is today? 
Well, uh, we have measures of polarization in Congress going back to Reconstruction. Reconstruction is a pretty nasty time. Uh, we had just finished the Civil War. One party believed that the other party consisted of traitors. Uh, it's worse now. Wow. <laughs> Heck of a debate coming up, ladies and gentlemen. The team arguing against the motion, which once again is gerrymandering, is destroying the political center. Let's move on to round one. Round one comprised of opening statements by each debater in turn. They will be uninterrupted. And here, speaking first, to get you to vote yes on the motion, gerrymandering is destroying the political center, Caroline Fredrickson. She is president of the American Constitution Society for Law and Policy. Ladies and gentlemen, Caroline Fredrickson. Um, so some of you may know that, uh, that our Constitution requires that states uh, redraw our congressional and state legislative district lines every 10 years. Um, and as our country grew after its founding, it didn't grow equally, as you might guess. Some towns and counties grew larger than others. Um, and some jurisdictions actually took account of that and changed their district lines, um, but others didn't. So for an example, um, in Alabama, you had malapportionment that helped preserve the power of segregationists in places like Lowndes County, Alabama. In that county, you had 15,000 approximately residents who had as many representatives in the Alabama Senate as the 600,000 residents of Birmingham's Jefferson County. Well, the Supreme Court ended this perversion of democracy in a series of landmark cases in the 60s, ruling that legislative districts had to be roughly equal in population. And so when the census is conducted at the start of the new decade, district boundaries have to be redrawn. So as as you know, the gerrymandering is nothing new. Um, It's named after... uh, Elbridge Gerry, who was the Massachusetts governor and future vice president, who in 1812 signed a redistricting plan that benefited his own party, looked a lot like a salamander and hence the gerrymander. Um, But just because it was done in the past doesn't make it any less insidious and any less anti-democratic. And now we have these sophisticated technologies and maps uh, that allow it to become uh, so much worse. And because uh, the parties have learned that They can gain many votes by altering the mix of who votes rather than assuming the median positions of the likely electorate. And they can speak more directly to partisans and donors, uh, the extremes, really, through the micro-targeting that is available to them. With districts that are configured like this to benefit the incumbent or one party, the primary becomes the only thing that matters. And so you can look in 2012 and 2014 where you had partisan asymmetry that was at its highest level in 40 years. And that's measured by how one party can get more seats than its votes should allow. The districts are structured not to be competitive. That's not what the founding fathers were intending when they said that we should have this uh, process go on. Madison actually said, every new election in the states will change one-half of the representatives. Well, as you know, we have elections where almost nobody in the House changes unless they happen to retire. You have districts that have no competition, and hence the, only the incumbent runs for re-election because it's really not worth it for anybody else. There are so few competitive districts. And that leads to disincentivizing dialogue. Because there's no reason to talk to somebody on the other side of the aisle. Because if you do and you compromise, you'll have a primary attack. And the primary, as I mentioned, is the only election that matters. When there's only one person on the ballot or only one party that can win a district, the citizens are essentially have no way to hold that individual accountable. They have no choice. As a result, people stop voting. Turnout goes down. Exaggerating even more how far to the extreme and out of the middle both the voters are and those uh, people who are responding to them, the elected officials. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline Fredrickson. And that is the motion. Gerrymandering is destroying the political center here to get you to vote no on this motion. I want to bring to the lectern Nolan McCarty. He is the Susan Dodd Brown Professor of Politics and Public Affairs at Princeton. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nolan McCarty. At the heart of tonight's debate is the question of whether gerrymandering can be blamed for what political scientists and others have called polarization. 
For our purposes tonight, polarization can be thought of as the disappearance of moderate views from politics and the increased likelihood of extreme ones. Uh, polarization can appear uh, at two different levels. It can appear among elites, like in Congress, so we see the hollowing out of uh, moderates in Congress, or it can happen in the electorate, where we see the disengagement of moderate voters. So in my work, I've measured polarization in Congress by levels of partisanship and ideological division on roll call votes on legislation. These measures have varied greatly over 140 years. It was obviously high during Reconstruction in the Gilded Age through about 1920. It was low from the 1930s to the 1970s, and a dramatic growth began in the late 1970s. And as I said before, now we're at an all-time high. Second fact, the House and the Senate have polarized more or less in tandem. There's no significant differences between the trends and the turning points between uh, those two chambers. Uh, And the data also suggests that the trends are very long-term with very few abrupt changes, reflecting the obvious role of deep cultural changes, economic and technological shifts, uh, and demography. Given these long-term trends, I argue that it's very doubtful that any small change in electoral procedure, such as the way we draw districts, can really count for what's going on. But I'm an empiricist, so let me talk a a little bit about the data against the proposition. First of all, as I've already alluded to, the Senate. Since the Dakotas were split in the 1890s to give the the Republicans four senators instead of two, the Senate has not been gerrymandered, yet the data show it's just as uh, polarized as the House of Representatives. Small states can't be gerrymandered. They're states with one member of Congress. They send uh, extreme members to Congress all the time. Recall uh, a certain Vermont senator uh, was a socialist until he became a Democrat. That's from a state with one House member. If you look at state legislatures, lower and upper chambers are equally polarized. Lower chambers are easy to gerrymander than upper chambers. Why are they the same uh, if this is uh, what's going on? And then finally, and most importantly, uh, polarization uh, does not seem to increase disproportionately around reapportionment years. It increases in off years every year. In fact, since 1977, it's increased every year. And the increases around reapportionment are no bigger Uh, than they are around other years. Finally, uh, more sophisticated evidence based on simulations where we can simulate any type of districting we want, partisan incumbency gerrymandering, this type of gerrymandering versus that type of gerrymandering shows it has very, very little effect uh, on levels of polarization. Uh, So I conclude based on the theory, which I don't think makes any sense, and the data, which doesn't support it, that the proposition should be rejected. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Gerrymandering is destroying the political center. You have heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, standing at the lectern, David Daly, who is author of the book Rat Eft, The True Story Behind the Secret Plan to Steal America's Democracy. He's also a publisher of the Connecticut Mirror. Please welcome David Daly. I want to tell you all a story about what happened in Florida after Upwards of 60% of the state's voters in 2010, a big Tea Party year, voters couldn't agree on much of anything in 2010. They did back two constitutional amendments mandating that all redistricting be conducted without any partisan intent. It did not take but a couple of weeks for the smartest Republican strategists in the state to gather at GOP headquarters in Tallahassee. The goal, launching a sophisticated and highly concealed campaign to run two redistricting processes in Florida, one public, one in the shadows, both in their control and loaded with partisan intent. They might have gotten away with it, except the lawsuit brought by the reformers uncovered the meeting's agenda, questions like, 
Communication with outside lawyers. How can we make that work? Evolution of maps. Should they start less compliant and evolve through the process? Or should the first map be as compliant as possible and then change very little? A furious federal judge in 2014 declares several of these districts unconstitutional, orders new maps in light of a conspiracy to manipulate and influence redistricting that made a mockery out of the claim transparency and tainted the process with improper partisan intent. Why? Perhaps the politicos know something truer about the district lines, that all components of a successful congressional race, including recruitment, message development, and resource allocation, rest on the congressional district lines, and this was an area where Republicans had an unquestioned advantage. Those are not my words. Those come from the triumphant 2012 annual report of Chris Jankowski's Republican State Leadership Committee, a victory lap after his party retained a 33-seat majority in the House that year, despite 1.4 million fewer votes, thanks to their audacious reinvention of the oldest political trick in the book, the gerrymander, and a strategy called Red Map. We are here to ask whether gerrymandering has destroyed the political center. Yes, it did. We are a 50-50 nation, but an uncompetitive one, dominated at the legislative level by the rule of one party. The gerrymander is at the root of it. Democrats have taken the popular vote in six of the last seven elections, and yet, for the last six years, Republicans have claimed their biggest sustained congressional majorities ever. Since 2010, they've also ended parity at the state legislative level. They now control 67 of 98 state legislative chambers and hundreds more seats than Democrats. Chris masterminded this strategy in 2009 and 2010 with the stated goal of flipping state legislatures, ensuring Republicans would be the only people in the room when the new district lines were drawn in 2011. This is how the center gets destroyed, how National Journal can find 137 congressional centrists in 2002 and four in 2012. It's how Nate Silver can find 133 swing districts to 35 between 1992 and 2012. This plan works better than Republicans even expected. They were able in 2011 to draw 193 of the 435 districts themselves after the 2010 elections. Democrats had complete control over just 44. This election year, we were down to 37 competitive seats. Destroying swing districts and gutting these last outposts of centrism and debate is the goal. You could blame polarization for this. You could blame geography for this. You could blame partisanship for this. Or you can simply take the Republicans at at their word. Thank you, Debbie Daly. Our motion again, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. And here to make his argument against this motion to get you to vote no is Chris Jankowski. He's a political strategist and former executive director of the Red Map Project at the Republican State Leadership Committee. Please welcome Chris Jankowski. Thank you. I was briefly a prosecutor before I became a career political hack. And what David just did reminds me of when a prosecutor gets up and starts throwing out all kinds of unflattering uh, information to the jury, but it isn't really relevant to the charges. And, and so I completely plead guilty to everything he just laid out, and that was playing by the rules and maximizing the impact on the American political system. But the question before you is, does gerrymandering cause the polarization, which is a, uh, destroying the American center? And so what I want to talk about is the fact that the swing voter in America has been disappearing for the last 20 years and we've just reached a new height in that. I would point you to a New York Times article in August of 2012 written by Rebecca Berg, and she looked at all the academic research available at that time. She interviewed experts on both sides of the aisle, and she concluded that even among so-called self-identified swing voters in America at that time, half of them vote for one party or the other party all the time. And that, to me, is polarization. I mean, we have gotten to the point where we have our jerseys and we put them on come election time. We try not to, but by the time the election rolls around, we have them on for the most part. The other thing to point out is uh, Pew has done quite a bit of research the last 25 years. They do this value study. They've updated it 14 times. In 2014, they issued a report that's called the Polarization in the American Public. The percentage of voters who believe that the other party that they oppose, that they threaten the well-being of the nation, that percentage has doubled. 37% of Republicans felt that way in 14. 
and 27% of Democrats. Six in 10 Americans think that the other party, should they get complete control, would threaten the very foundations of the country. That was from 1994 to 2004. In 20 years, we got more polarized. And it had nothing to do with the gerrymandering that took place after 2010. Another thing I see in voter behavior, and voters are, are, are the consumers that we as consultants and, and politicians are trying to uh, gain, and they have siloed themselves off in America in self-reinforcing silos through social media, through where they live and who they associate with, and through, obviously, the you know, notorious cable news networks. And so that voters across the spectrum are getting what they want to hear. They block out what they don't want to hear. And that has further, I would argue, created this polarization in the data that, I, uh, that Pew has picked up on. Uh, finally, just a show of hands, um, how many members of the NRA are here today? None. All right, well, I'll keep my hand up. So if you're not a member of the NRA, you've never been subjected to the deluge of phone calls, uh, stuff on your phone, social media, online outreach, mailbox, door knocks, with strong Second Amendment issues. But I can assure you it goes on, and because the NRA wouldn't admit it, but in most instances the gun issue probably works against them net-net, they are still very effective because of all the tools and the trends that I just mentioned at motivating those single-issue voters. And I would submit to you that that happens with every segment of the electorate. Both parties have their different blocks they have to get out and how to talk to them. The key is to do it without making the other side... Uh, notice or get excited. And that's polarization, folks. Thank you, Chris Jankowski. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is gerrymandering is destroying the political center. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly. And they also take questions from me and from you and our live audience here at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. The team arguing for the motion, Caroline Fredrickson and Dave Daly, they have told us that politics work best when there is competition, but that gerrymandering takes competition out of the equation, creating safe seats where being extreme does not cause uh, politicians' votes, and so that the only election ultimately that matters will be the primary. That as a result of this, there is a disincentive to dialogue, a disincentive to compromise. The team on the opposite side that wants you to vote against this motion, Nolan McCarty and Chris Jankowski, they agree that our politics is polarized and possibly even broken, but they don't think that that has much to do with gerrymandering. Their evidence um, shows that politicians are uh, taking their positions, sometimes extreme positions, uh, regardless of how safe their seats are, and reflects actually a polarization in the electorate itself. I want to go first to the team arguing for the motion, start with Caroline Fredrickson. One point your opponents made in terms of, uh, in, in terms of refuting your gerrymandering, gerrymandering argument as destructive to the political center is that they cited the fact that the Senate, the U.S. Senate, is likewise highly polarized, but it's not a body whose districts are defined by gerrymandering. They're defined by state borders. What's your response to that? Well, I actually think we've seen more um, uh, effort uh, at compromise in the Senate um, than we have in the House, certainly. I'd say one fact is that the control of the Senate has actually changed hands between the parties more often since the 80s than the House has. And the Senate is the place where they have actually tried to work together on some issues. Um, immigration reform, where you had Marco Rubio uh, uh, working across the aisle. Um, there you had the, the Gang of 14. Um, you don't see anything like that in the House, um, where um, they just talk to each other. One side only talks to each other. And some of the, some of the most extreme behaviors have been uh, in the House. Okay, so Nolan McCarty, your, your point about the Senate being refuted by Caroline Fredrickson, who's saying that, in fact, the Senate does, does have more of a functional center than the uh, House. I think she just made a wonderful argument for the filibuster. The reason why we see much more bipartisan cooperation in the Senate, despite the polarized differences, is because the minority party always has the opportunity to block legislation through the filibuster. I believe if we got rid of the filibuster, you'd see uh, just as much partisanship in the Senate as you would see in the House, uh, and I, which is sort of consistent with the data. Caroline, you want to respond to that? 
Well, you know, I think the Senate certainly has its own um, unique uh, elements to it. Um, and the fact that there's generally been polarization uh, in the country uh, doesn't mean that there isn't more polarization due to gerrymandering. Chris Jankowski, you want to respond to that? Okay, I'm going to give you the question. Your, your, right. your opponent, um, I think David Daly, anticipated your argument that polarization has been going on for a while, for 25 years, it's a process, by saying, yeah, but it sure has accelerated a whole lot, meaningfully, significantly, as a result of uh, particularly the last round of gerrymandering by the Republican Party. So he's saying it's, it's, it's not the same because it got so much more intense. Your response to that? If you look at the uh, research that I cited, it's been a progression since at least 1994 of increased polarization. Uh, but what he's alluding to is accurate. There's, I mean, it's gotten down to an iPad-level technology. And so, yes, the gerrymander is as effective as it's ever been in terms of uh, trying to maintain a majority. That's not the same as protecting incumbents, for sure. Uh, but I, what I don't see is the connection. The, the, there's just a lack of proof that that is causing what we saw in our presidential primaries, where we had the left and the right pull both ways. There was no gerrymandering in that. Um, in any of these Senate governor races, the presidential race, very polarized electorate, not gerrymandered. David Daly? Chris does a really good job of redrawing the lines, and I think he just did that a little bit there. Um, when these lines are being drawn, it's not simply about where the swing voters sit. It's, it's where all the voters sit. So you take a state like Pennsylvania, for example, which in 2012 um, and in 2008 both go for Democratic. If you add up all the votes in the state for Democratic House candidates in 2008 and 2012, it's, a, it's about the same 100,000 margin in favor of the Democrats. Um, in 2008, the Democrats win 12 seats. In 2012, they win five seats. Um, did the polarization increase? Did everybody move to Philadelphia? No, the, the lines changed in the middle. Yeah, I, I would like to reiterate there's a really huge conflation in this debate between the idea that the majority party does bad things to maximize its seat share. That's quite different than saying uh, that politicians intentionally create safe districts and polarize the system. Take a minute. For what is the big difference? If you have a party that's a majority party, uh, they, can, they really have two choices. They can kind of spread their voters out so that they have a bare or close to bare majority in as many districts as they can, and then they pack uh, the opposition party. Now, the opposition party may be polarized because they're packed, uh, but you're creating a bunch of districts that, if they miscalculate, for example, uh, could go the other way. They're not increasing the safety. A good example, during the notorious mid-decade gerrymandering in Texas uh, in 2003, uh, Tom DeLay uh, actually reduced his district from 57% Republican to 52% Republican, and he almost lost the next election. That is the mechanism behind the partisan gerrymander. It's not making the majority party safer. It's spreading the majority party out in the hopes of winning more seats. What's your response Well, to I that? actually wanted to say there's not, these aren't the only options. I think most people agree intuitively with the, with the proposition that uh, when politicians decide what the districts look like, it's going to be biased and unfair and, you know, if I could use a commonly used word, rigged. Um, and so at, when you actually give an independent, nonpartisan body the ability to create maps, they make really different maps. And what happens is that there's actually more competition than the members are more responsive to the voters. And you can see that how this plays out because when you've had citizen redistricting commissions or these nonpartisan redistricting commissions, you have many more of these districts that have more than one major party on the ballot. You, you believe there is a decrease in polarization that can be seen? Can Absolutely. Be spotted? Right, let's take it to the other side. So your opponents are now arguing that a, a, a sort of reverse gerrymandering has, in fact, sh- resulted in less polarization. What about that, Chris Jankowski? Well, I think that it's an inherently political function to draw these lines. And if you go back to our founders in the Constitution, they tended to put the inherently political things into the hands of the political people, which would be the, the, the legislative chamber. And by political, do you mean an action taken to benefit one party's interests? No, I mean the people who are most uh, accountable to the, to the voters. Okay. 
and uh, and subject to that. And so, um, I I'm not against reforming uh, redistricting. I'd just like to see a fair system. I think we need uh, some guardrails. Uh, but I and I think maybe the courts are going to do that personally. But um, I think that this idea that there's a such thing as a neutral uh, redistricting process, but but it's Carolyn's just, point, hasn't been Carolyn's proven. point wasn't that there at this moment she wasn't making the argument there should be this process. She is saying that in examples where this process was followed, more competitive districts were created and therefore polarization was reduced. So that's the okay. that's really the question. Do sure. you want to take it, uh, Noel? Well, actually, or, I, yeah, I think ahead, I can. Chris. I mean, Arizona has the infamous commission. Just look at the election we just had in Arizona for president. It was racially polarized between the white and non-white vote. It was polarized by uh, income, um, by education levels. Uh, it was just a microcosm of what went on in America. And the fact that they're stuck in a particular uh, district, congressional district, that may be more competitive and more f- more uh, fair, if you will, doesn't change that their behavior. It doesn't make them less partisan. Uh, would you like to respond, David Daly? The partisan gerrymandering that we see explode after 2010 is the kind of gerrymandering that takes a state like Michigan, where Democrats get 240,000 more votes, and packs them into five districts and gives Republicans nine of the 14 seats. It's taking a 50-50 state like Ohio and making the delegation 12-4. It's taking a state where, in 2012, more votes, again, for Democratic candidates, but the delegation goes 10-3 Republican. Um, And that can't but affect the kind of politics we have. There is still a center in this country where folks, and you can look at the polls, 55% in favor of, of common sense gun control, 50-44 on abortion, should the next president su- support or oppose climate change, 69-23. There is a center, even on the issues that we are told are the most hot button. Are we getting any action from this Congress on any of these issues? No. So what do you mean, by, if you look at our motion, when you say destroying the political center, you don't mean causing those voters not to exist who would help more centrist views, you mean what? I'm saying that we are electing politicians who will not represent the center because they are not accountable to anybody. I'm John Donvan. Still to come, questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate on Intelligence Squared U.S. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. In the back row, very back row. Uh, hi, my name is Faith Doyle. Um, I was curious, I'm really unclear as to what your definition of the center is, because it seems like you're talking about either politicians that we elect that are able to compromise or is it representation for people who are more or are less i guess less okay. politically ideological great question i have a feeling we might hear slightly different answers but i want to go to nolan mccarty with the numbers what you mean by the center and then i want to go to um to uh, caroline Fredrickson. Uh, at one time in the united states house and in the senate there were a number of uh Democrats who compiled more conservative voting records than many Republicans and many Republicans who consi- rec- uh, compiled more liberal voting records than many uh, Democrats. So there was a center in which the parties were close together and they interacted and they overlapped. Uh, in the data now, that's, that's missing. We don't see those sorts of conservative Democrats, liberal Republicans. Uh, there's, a, there's a gap. So to use Chris's term, there, were, there was a time when people would put on their jerseys, but they wouldn't always play for the team. They would occasionally dance with the other, the other side. We're going to mix some metaphors here. Um, <laughs> okay, so by, center, so by the center, you mean being able to cross-compromise, vote for not strictly with the party, with the tribe. Um, 
I don't have any disagreement with that. I'd say, you know, from my experience, uh, as I mentioned, I spent a number of years up uh, uh, working uh, in the Senate. I also worked on the House side, and and there was so much more uh, collaboration. Um, Certainly, things were partisan. But uh, the change has been, I think, the fact that there, it's very hard to work across the aisle and not get in trouble. Right down front here. Hi, my name is Sarah Strader, and I have a question for the motion. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It seems that a strong correlation has been drawn between gerrymandering and voter polarization, but I wonder if it's possible that the direction of causation could be reversed. So could it be that the shrinking of the political center has itself played a role in causing the recent uptake in dramatic gerrymandering, that partisans don't think they can win over non-existent moderates, so as a result, they then resort to more heavily redistricting? What a fantastic question. David David. Um, I think we just saw an election in which lots of states that hadn't flipped in, in many years did flip and, and go the other way. So certainly there are still people out there who are open to persuasion and possibility. Um, what has changed over time is the amount of data that is available to these map makers. And I mean, really, 2010 is, 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 um, is ground zero for this. I mean, think about the way you texted in 2000 or even 2003. It was completely different than what you're able to do in 2011 when these map makers draw the lines. Those of us who are persuadable, they know who you are. Those of you who are not persuadable, they've got a pretty good sense of who you are. And they can draw these in such a way that even these districts that look like they're 53, 54, 55 percent districts, that's solid these days because they know who the 53 are. They know if you turn out and they can take all of these public record data sets and, and match them up against, against your consumer preferences, against the census. Okay, let me um, let Chris Jankowski respond as well. well. Sure. First, there weren't a bunch of states that flipped. There were a, a small handful. Um, and what happened in those states? Uh, Wisconsin, Trump won by about 27,000 votes. Turnout was up 124,000 votes from 12. But uh, Clinton got 231,000 fewer votes. And when you look at where those fewer votes came out of, they are Democrat-based areas. Adjustments in bases are changing these elections and flipping them. Um, and how does, and, how does and what you're saying? How does what you're saying support your point in the in the motion? To, to go back to earlier questions and volleys on what, how do I define the center? The center is that group of voters in the middle that are willing to go and switch parties uh, based on the candidate. The objective data that we've provided, the Pew research, shows that six in ten of Americans not only won't switch, they think the other party's going to destroy the country. Um, And it doesn't get that much better for the next 30%. Gerrymandering has been indicted, convicted, and sentenced to life tonight. And fine. It doesn't prove their proposition. Do you want to respond to that? Because I want to... I'm going to go to some more questions unless you'd like to respond. Well, I just... Just as a... Maybe Caroline it's like corrective is that I think one of the things we don't often connect are the gerrymandering and then what uh, legislatures do afterwards. And I think what we saw in several of the states through the redistricting process uh, targeted just a small number of districts and flipped the state house and then immediately moved to put more restrictive voting measures on the ballot. Um, and then we see how that comes out in this election, where you may say that there were that many thousands of votes that uh, people didn't turn out. Um, we don't know that yet whether they didn't turn out or whether they couldn't turn out. But I I think the fact of the matter is we all know that in our gut that when people are only talking to people that agree with them, which is what happens in these races now because the districts have been created so that there's only one group of people to talk to and there's only one kind of candidate. So you're talking about the 6 in 10 voters who wouldn't switch. I want to talk about the 4 in 10. There's still 4 in 10 even under your data. There are people that are open. Those are people who want to be talked to by, by people who are going to be reaching compromise, who are going to be trying to find legislative solutions. And I, I think that's exactly where this, this takes us. Okay, that's another question. Right in the center there, sir. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Jen. I'm a resident of D.C. I'm just curious about perception. If people believe that gerrymandering by the opposite party is causing polarization and they therefore become polarized due to that belief, doesn't that add to the polarization and therefore the destroying of the middle. Is the story of gerrymandering itself causing polarization? It could be. Uh, I don't have any, any data on that. Um, I mean, I think that there is more awareness of this issue because I think it's happening at every level of our democracy. Um, it's happened not only at the congressional level, but it's happened at the state level in very, very deep and dramatic ways. 
So there are you know, plenty of folks in North Carolina where in many years more voters come out for the Democrats, but they live under um, veto-proof majorities for Republicans in their House and there. And their Senate. And I think, Caroline, um, you wanted to join? Yeah, I just want to say, I think it plays into a narrative um, that's pretty pervasive about how dysfunctional Congress is, how dysfunctional politicians are uh, under the sort of perception of, of gerrymandering. They're not accountable to us anymore. And that means that people then stop participating, which means that they're even less accountable. So I think the perception um, and the reality are definitely um, self-reinforcing. Nolan McCarty, do you want to respond on that as well? I don't think there's any data on the question. Uh, they've studied uh, voter responses to various uh, electoral laws, such as campaign finance laws, other laws. They find almost no correlation between how strict a state's or how liberal a state's campaign finance law is uh, and the way the voters feel about the system. And, and so I would assume it would be the same about gerrymandering. And I'm, and I'm not asking this sarcastically. You're a data guy. So I am a data guy. Narrative arguments don't carry weight with you very much? I, I, I think narratives are nice. They help us to get build intuitions about what might be going on. But at the end of the day, on a question like polarization, which is a description of how millions and millions of voters are behaving and how hundreds and hundreds of legislators throughout the United States are behaving, I think the numbers are really important. Well, I have this to say. This concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is gerrymandering is destroying the political center. And now we move on to round three. I want to remind you that right after round three, you're going to vote a second time. And I want to remind you that the way we determine victory is the difference in percentage points between the first and the second votes. Whoever's numbers go up the most. Round three, closing arguments over this motion, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. These statements will be brief. And first to make her statement in support of the motion to get you to vote yes, Caroline Fredrickson, president of the American Constitution Society. Thank you. Well, I just I want to tell a little story because I actually think narratives are really important in politics. I want to tell you about Dale Schultz, who's a former uh, Republican state representative in Wisconsin. He served 30 years. He's the plaintiff in one of the cases that's moving forward that's challenging partisan uh, gerrymandering as a violation of the Constitution. Um, he served in both the House and Senate uh, of the Wisconsin State House. He was Senate Majority Leader. He retired in 2014 uh, because uh, the environment had become so partisan uh, in, in Wisconsin. And he may be a Republican, but he was critical about how the State House had become so extreme, so full of gridlock, with no role for moderates. Uh, and when the 2011 districts were drawn, his district was drawn to be way too conservative for a, a moderate like him. So in 2014, he led the effort for nonpartisan redistricting in Wisconsin, but the Republican legislature wouldn't even have hearings. I just want to leave you with his quote. He says, It's just sad when a political party has so lost faith in its ideas that it's pouring all of its energy into election mechanics. We should be pitching as political parties our ideas for improving things in the future, rather than mucking around in the mechanics and making it more confrontational at the voting sites and trying to suppress the vote. Thank you very much. Caroline Fredrickson. The motion again, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. And here to make his closing statement against the motion, Nolan McCarty. He is professor and chair of the Department of Politics at Princeton University. Uh, Thanks. Um, A lot of this has been made of the lack of competitiveness in House elections uh, throughout this debate. Uh, So the question is, is it true? And my answer is yes, with a lot of very large buts. Uh, First but is that in recent memory, we have as much turnover over three elections uh, as we've seen since the 1930s. We have measures of competitiveness. How competitive are the districts? They tend to not change very much after reapportionment, but they change a lot mid-decade. There are long trends in competitiveness. They have almost nothing to do with reapportionment. The reason why there's so little uh, competition uh, in House elections has to do with two major realignments that this country has witnessed over the past 30 years. The first, the best known, is the Southern realignment, where we went from a situation in which there was 
monopoly control of the South by the Democratic Party, uh, and it transitioned to a competitive system where Democrats and Republicans were competitive and finalized into a situation where the Democratic Party is not very competitive in House elections that are not minority districts. A second realignment is in the Northeast. The Northeast went from a, a uniformly Republican region, for the most part, transitioned to a competitive region where Democrats and Republicans competed, and is become a Democratic stronghold. And finally, let me make one last point. As we all know, uh, Donald Trump lost the popular vote, which appears to now be by 1% or 1.5%, yet won the Electoral College uh, in a pretty substantial way. That's exactly the phenomenon that, that the proponents have been complaining about, that the Republicans are getting more seats than votes. That has nothing to do with gerrymandering. That's just where the American people are and where they live. Thank you, Noel McCarty. The motion again, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, David Daly, author of Rat F. Blank, blank, K-E-D, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. Here's David Daly. Thank you so much for being here tonight and listening to us. We do have data on what's happened since 2010. We know that the middle has lost 99% of its representation in Congress over these last 20 years. We know that this does not happen by accident or because we have self-sorted ourselves. We have the data from Harvard showing the largest lurch since 2010 in one direction. We know what has happened both from data and from living through it. I do want to return for a moment to Mark Meadows in North Carolina because that is what happens on a concrete, specific level when you redistrict a state and you turn a conservative Democrat into a Tea Party Republican. Meadows represents a district that is 75% white, the average is 63, 9% Latino, the average 17. These are the numbers of these districts that the far right that has stopped so much in Congress over the last six years represent. They've drawn them for themselves. This is not about partisanship. This is about democracy. Our elections are not games. Our principles are too important to be subject to every 10 years arms wars over district lines that make our politics more nasty, more negative, way more expensive. We are the only democracy that allows this to happen. We've seen the ferocity with which partisans will fight to keep it. Nothing will change until we take it back. I ask for your support of this motion as a first step. Thank you. Thank you, David Daly. And that motion, one more time, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Chris Jankowski, former executive director of the Red Map Project. Thank you. I wasn't going to bring it up, but Caroline brought up Senator Schultz in Wisconsin. Uh, Let's talk about that. Uh, Senator Schultz is what we would call in our party a known moderate now. Uh, And he was not happy with the results of uh, the elections in 2010, where his party actually took control, and uh, there were more conservative members in his party that had uh, the leadership and the control. He did not support Governor Walker's budget reform, public union uh, reform, did not support any of that. Uh, But we had a two-vote, and Red Map picked up a two-seat majority, not just a one in Wisconsin Senate. So we were able to get all that through. What people don't realize is because Scott Walker did win his recall, we actually lost control of the state Senate. Uh, in those recalls. Uh, the first wave in August of 2011, we won. We won. We held on to one seat. We lost a seat. We held on the other seat by 471 votes after $30 million was spent on those state Senate elections. There were t- a, a few seats up under Governor Walker the following June, all of this under the old lines. And uh, we actually lost control of the chamber by one vote. But by then, there was going to be new, you know, the new lines had already been passed and they would go into effect. So they picked picked them back up in November. Those lines that uh, were in place through the recalls, though, were passed by Republicans in 2000. Democrats took complete control under them. They lost it back and forth. So I'm not sure that you know, Senator Schultz had a lot to complain about, about the gerrymandering in Wisconsin. Uh, but I would also say that the, the state of Wisconsin was galvanized. You were either for Governor Walker or against, and there was no undecided vote. Uh, and that had nothing to do with gerrymandering. 
That's my point, folks. Time we is are polarized. Up. Thank you, Chris Jankowski. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is gerrymandering is destroying the political center. Okay, I have the results now. You have voted twice. I want to remind you that it's the difference between the two votes that determines who our winner is. Let's look at the first vote. In the first vote, gerrymandering is destroying the political center. 62% of you agreed. 8% were against. 30% were undecided. The team arguing for the motion, let's look at their second vote. Their first vote was 62%. Their second vote was 53%. They lost nine percentage points. Let's look at the team arguing against the motion. Their first vote was 8%. Their second vote was 34%. They picked up 26 percentage points. It means the team arguing against the motion, gerrymandering is destroying the political center, named our winners. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S., We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was presented in partnership with the National Constitution Center and held in front of a live audience at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Dana Wolf is our executive producer, Robert Rosencrantz is chairman, Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers, Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is Chief Marketing and Digital Officer. Chris Kamakawa is Director of Research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information on that or to purchase tickets to future events, visit IQ2US.org. This debate was brought to you with generous support from the National Constitution Center through a grant from the John Templeton Foundation. The opinions expressed during this program are those of the program participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the John Templeton Foundation. Intelligence Squared U.S. debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson, Charitable Trust, Ilona Nemeth and Ellen Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner-Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and the Paul E. Singer Foundation. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.